Good day, and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. Are we really free to be faithful? Because of the pandemic, worship is curtailed, but we also see casinos open and mass protest gatherings actively encouraged by politicians. Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty Executive Director Greg Seltz and I discuss this today on Free to be Faithful. The name of the program, Free to be Faithful. You know, as an American citizen, I never really questioned this until now. How free are we? I mean, I'm looking at not just court rulings, but for example, where governors and mayors will shut down churches but allow mass demonstrations, will shut down churches, but allow open tattoo parlors, will shut down churches, but open casinos. Are we truly free to be faithful? Greg, what's your take on all this? Well, uh, there's some ominous clouds on the horizon, that's, there, that's for sure. And we've been fighting this stuff. You know, we've tried to explain to our churches, we're not just defending the church. You know, we're, we're, we're not protectionists. What we really are just saying is we, we need to be the voice of the Scripture in culture for the sake of culture in the church. Well, if you cannot proclaim the moral teachings of the Scripture, then it's going to be pretty hard to say, uh, repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I, I try to bear this down to things like, well, I guess I can't even preach that uh, you shouldn't live together now because that might offend someone. That might be a microaggression. And there's now legal ramifications to that. Now, that's not going to stop us from preaching and teaching. But what I'm saying is the First Amendment was was to allow us to be free to be faithful. And so the people that are unraveling the First Amendment, uh, they're doing it for nefarious reasons. There's worse things coming uh, than this. And if the church is the first voice to go, um, it's scary what comes next. And so all of that is, is, is part of what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this in the Supreme Court rulings. I'm seeing this right now in what's happening in our cities across the country where, uh, and, and our states across the country where governors can dictate whether they're going to honor the First Amendment or not. I mean, that's the whole point of the First Amendment was to protect us from uh, government abuse. Not to mention the fact that uh, the 14th Amendment specifically calls for equal protection under the law. And yet I look at how, how some of these governors and mayors have actively encouraged and even participated in mass demonstrations after telling churches that they can't gather because it's a health hazard. Well, in, in the 14th Amendment, you're right there, but the First Amendment, you know, and this is what is mind-boggling, but it, it shows what our culture has been doing uh, in education and, and the kinds of things that people are being taught today. The First Amendment was that religious liberty and the exercise thereof was to be protected from government abuse. And the 14th Amendment is helpful in that. It says, yeah, equal protection under the law. But the First Amendment actually lifts up the church as an essential element of our culture for the sake of our culture and our liberty. And that's what's being defied. And people, people have been taught that the church really isn't an essential thing anymore. And um, again, when you start to think about what people can do when they don't have any moral restrictions, when they don't have any moral pushback or, or even feel like their rights are, are from God and not from government. 
wow, 100 million people lost their lives uh, to people like that uh, last century. And uh, that kind of stuff is right around the corner again because we're literally voting it into our lives. It's crazy. It is indeed. Um, and it's frightening. And, you know, and as I said at the beginning of the program, as a U.S. citizen, I never really questioned that I was free to worship. I really didn't. But, boy, just in the last few weeks, I have really started to sit back and take a look at this. And frankly, I am alarmed. I'm not sure where we can go from this or how we should respond. I think this is, I mean, you get to a point where you obey God rather than men. I mean, I, it got to, worship was one aspect of it, but there was others. I said, why can't a pastor go into a hospital room of one of his parishioners who might be dying of COVID-19? Or why can't a Christian son or Christian daughter be with their parent um, if they're dying of COVID-19? Why is that not an essential thing? So, you know, if the doctor says, well, we can't do anything more for this guy, the last word you're going to hear before you you enter into, uh, if, before you face death, is a doctor saying we can't do anything else. Well, there's another essential voice. And there's, there's an essential voice that's bigger than the doctor's voice at that point. And that's what we're fighting for. Why do we have, um, you know, chaplains on, on the battlefield along with the, the medics? It's because there's two voices that are essential, one that can fix your body, the other one that can deal with the, the ramifications of what you're seeing to your soul. And our culture is denying that second reality as if it can, and then as if it can maintain the freedoms that it's been so graciously given. And that's the problem that's starting to bother me. Christians think, well, it's only just about worship. No, it's about whether you can be a Christian for the sake of your neighbor. And boy, if you start to take that right away from us as a culture, uh, there's a lot of things that unravel um, because of it. You know, You know, and it's not just Christians who are affected by this. I look at the, a recent incident, for example, in New York City where there was a, uh, an Orthodox, uh, actually, I think there were Hasidic Jews who were trying to conduct a funeral procession. And the mayor came down on them like a ton of bricks, threatened them to uh, arrest, uh, threatened to close the synagogues. He even, uh, he even uh, welded shut a, uh, a park. <laughs> well, I call them the secular blasphemy laws, the shibboleths of the new secular progressives. Um, it's almost, again, you, you start to ask the, the tactics of Nazism and things like that, you, where you shut down speech. You don't dialogue. You just shut it down. And the reality is everybody's liberty is at risk. So when religious liberty gives way, everyone's liberty is at risk. And I, I teach this all the time, but, you know, people are like, no, can't we get by with just, you know, uh, having less religious liberty and everything will be fine? And you go, no, they go together. Uh, I'll give you another example. You know, people are talking about police right now. We got to, uh, you know, push back on the police force. And I say, well, okay, well, I'm a limited government guy. I don't want the police involved in every aspect of my life. I get that. But in order to have police stand down, then you have to have self-disciplined, religiously uh, motivated and disciplined people stand up. So, you know, you, you can't have police stand down and then people do whatever they want. You can't have libertinism. Uh, you have to have people who are, who are self-restrained because of their moral teachings and those kinds of things. Well, we're teaching the exact opposite. We're teaching do whatever you want and, and get the police out of your life. Well, that's, uh, that's a remedy for chaos 
or tyranny to shut it all down. Well, here in St. Louis, uh, just recently, I drove by a, uh, a demonstration, and I will say this one was peaceful. However, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people gathered shoulder to shoulder, no masks on some of them, <laughs> and yet I've got this same restriction that the county says I can't gather at my church. In fact, my pastor was telling me the other day that he had a problem conducting a funeral because of restrictions. Well, the COVID-19 thing, uh, yes, it it. it it was unleashed on the world uh, by nefarious folks, and I'm not sure exactly how it got out. I don't know if it was an accident or whatever, but the reality is the reaction to it has been crazy. And then once it got crazy, it's gotten political. Um, so it is what it is. It's a, it's a nasty virus, but it really only affects people who are vulnerable to it. And for the first time ever in human history, we locked down, we locked down healthy people because of it. Um, and now we're actually using that power to lock down, to lock down people that we either politically don't care for or to exercise our power just to show who's in charge. Well, again, the First Amendment protects us from that. And I think we've demonstrated that this crisis, this pandemic is not as uh, uh, it's not as huge an issue as we've been led to believe. Doesn't mean it's not deadly in its own right. But the point is, is that this this over abuse, um, yeah, we have to fight that back because the reality is the people that are locking us down, they want to lock us down more. Well, actually, a couple of politicians have, have actually said that the, the COVID-19 crisis is a perfect opportunity for them to advance their agenda. Exactly. And, and again, you ask the question, what is their agenda? And again, when I try to explain to people... You are living in a country that for the first time ever made you the Caesar, okay? Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Um, generally, Caesar was above you. In our country, Caesar is you. You get to then tell elected officials to how to represent you, and then we limit the power of the federal government because that's the place where the worst tyrannies can actually uh, reside. All that's being turned upside down. And so you, you, what you do is you create chaos— and then you also turn that chaos to your political advantage by taking control. Uh, I, I told a story one time about Rome. There was a guy named Cleander in the, uh, under the regime of communists. And Cleander was a, a, a communist's right-hand man. He was a slave who became kind of a viceroy. And he really wanted more power. So what he did is he withheld the grain that came from Egypt and started starving the people of Rome. Now, why would anybody starve people? Well, so that he could be the savior. So he was holding on to this grain so that he could all bring it back one day and everyone would say, oh, Cleander's our savior. Real the problem was the plague hit Rome at the same time. And eventually they found out that he was doing it, that he was literally hoarding the grain and causing the suffering. Politicians and people like of power, they'll do all kinds of things like that. And that's why the, gov the government of America was limited in its power and it expressed liberty for its citizens and it protected us legally with the First Amendment. And that's what's being unraveled. Well, even some of the founders said specifically that a democracy could not exist without a, without a solid moral and religious foundation. Right. And they even said this isn't a democracy. This is a constitutional republic because they had seen, you know, the perfect example of what we could be is France. 
France was the perfect secular regime. It, it actually denied uh, religion. It denied all those different kinds of things. And it said, we're going to create a secular utopia until the guillotine came out and they started killing their enemies. Uh, Mao was terrible. Uh, Mussolini was terrible. Hitler, you know, Hitler, we talk about him as the great evil, but he was nothing compared to Mao and Mussolini. But think about what what lessons have we learned from that when we start to actually try to do the same thing here, even through our our um, democracy? Well, I think one of the problems, and I'm speaking here as a Lutheran and as a conservative LCMS Lutheran, is that I think a lot of the establishment churches no longer believe the Bible. Now, here in here in St. Louis, uh, the Episcopals just installed a gay bishop, openly gay bishop. The Bible is explicit about that, and yet the Episcopalians seem to be okay with it. Well, and again, like I said, whenever I talk about these Supreme Court rulings, I say there's two ways you read documents. One is historical, grammatical. You actually read it as as the people who wrote it want to be understood. Then you try to contextualize it, like apply it to today. But you don't change the meaning of the words to suit what you think it should say today. That's called historical critical. Well, that's the same thing with the Bible. Some people read the Bible and say, well, that's what it meant for those people way back then. But they were rubes. You know, they're not as, as sophisticated as we are. And so blah, blah, blah. We change the words. Historical grammatical is the way we read the Bible, and historical grammatical is the way we read all texts, because we assume that the people who wrote those texts were, were writing it because they had fundamental beliefs on things, and if those fundamentals don't change, we need to come to grips with what they were trying to say. Well, yesterday in the Supreme Court literally looked at the Civil Rights Law of 1964, and it changed the word sex to mean sexual orientation. So now, no longer biology, it means now uh, your proclivities. And it, that's an, a massive change. And that's not at all what the 64 legislation uh, said. So all we ask is if you want a new legislation, then the legislators should do it. But the Supreme Court decided, well, we're not happy with what the legis- how slow the legislators are dealing with this. So they changed the meaning of the words. That's scary when people can start changing basic meanings because now you can't trust any anybody in authority if they can change the meaning of a, a word uh, to suit their fancy, you know, 10 years later. Well, for example, here in St. Louis, we have a, a pretty well-known local columnist, and uh, he wrote a column just recently saying about how the slogan defund the police didn't really mean defund the police. It meant, <laughs> okay. Really? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then the question I would say is, well, if you defund the police, then you're going to have local gangs of roving uh, militia that answer only to specific uh, politicians. Uh, do you want that? Because a lot of the countries I've traveled to, the reason why they hate, they are suspicious of the police is because they know they're corrupt and they know they serve political gains of the powerful. Do you want that instead of a police force that has, that has to answer to universal laws? You know, it's crazy what people are saying right now because they don't really know what the ramifications are. But my point in all this is we need to be faithful. We need to be free to be faithful uh, to proclaim the, the scriptures in its truth and purity for the sake of our culture and for the sake of the church. And that's being taken from us now. Some people say, well, yeah, someday you're going to wind up, you know, suffering for your faith. I know that day's coming, but we still have First Amendment rights to actually 
protect the freedoms to, to be faithful right now. So let's put those to work. And if we lose them completely, well, still preach the gospel and preach the moral teachings of the, of the scripture and come what may. Well, that's the, that's the question, come what may. Yeah. <laughs> so what can we do right now? I, I'm, I'm thinking, for example, the uh, I'm looking at the police departments, and there are, there are some legitimate complaints there about overreaction. Right. But perhaps, perhaps maybe making sure that these local police departments have a moral and ethical uh, founding. Uh, chaplains, I, I think there are chaplains assigned at the police forces, but perhaps maybe that's a way to encourage it even more, is to let the police know, those in power, that let them know that there is a higher power over them. Well, that's true, too. But I, again, we're buying into a little bit of the notion that the police are the problem in the urban community, as if that is the issue. And the reality is it's really it's not. It's a problem. There's individual rogue cops, police brutality. I've run into bad cops myself. We all know that there are stories like that out there. But if you look at the actual data, the data is actually exactly the opposite. I mean, uh, Brutal force by police is down significantly in the last 30, 40 years. And even the racial component of that has changed dramatically. Um, there's studies out there that, that are demonstrating this. My point, though, is, is that when you have powers like that stand down, which we generally argue is a good thing because we want to limit the power of people who have absolute force over us, you've got to stand up then as a moral, self-restrained um, a person who's who's self-disciplined well when we see that that's when you look at even the riots when you see absolutely unrestrained behavior you're saying well if we stand down what's coming after that and that's the kind of issue no one's talking about those kind of issues and the issues of fatherlessness and in, in the uh, urban communities and it's black white and hispanic now and it's getting worse by the day our policies have created this our policies have created these poverties and this violence and again, no one's answering for that. They're, they're saying the police need to fix it. Well, we don't think the police can fix that, and they should have a limited role in our lives. So then how do we fix the real problems that beset our communities? And that's where the church can be a, a voice. Uh, education, um, empowering the community so they don't need government. Those are the ways where the church can come alongside of neighborhoods and make a huge difference. Well, I think a lot of the... Um a lot of the uh, uh, anti-police fervor and uh, some of the things along that line are really trying to distract from what is actually the problem. I think you touched on it. For example, here in St. Louis, we have a very high homicide rate, extremely high. And yet, when you look at the data that's been put out, nearly all the victims are black and nearly all the perpetrators are black as well. Okay, what is wrong with this picture? Why is that community killing each other? What's going on there? What? Why isn't the community, the BLM community and others, looking at the situation and saying there is a serious basic problem here? And why is why is BLM not why is BLM anti nuclear family? That's my question. I mean, they they hate the family. They want their they want children to be raised by the you know that's the uh, Black Lives Matter is one of those terms where of course Black Lives Matter and of course people in a in a specific situation who have a specific issue we should be able to stand up for that. 
Uh, of course, but Black Lives Matter is a political movement too. And so you've got to differentiate the two. And so my question to them is, why do you why are you just trying to destroy the family? Because that's the bulwark against violence. It's a bulwark against needing police in the neighborhood. It's the first thing you can do. And so, again, you know, you, you have to start asking these hard questions because I want to empower communities. I think the church should want to empower communities. Uh, so in education, why are they why are these people against educational choice? Why don't they want people to be able to get a good education? Uh, why are they against the uh, uh, policies that undergird the family, keep their fathers in the home? Why are they against that when we know sociologically that's one of the bulwarks against a lot of this kind of stuff? Why are they against these basic things? Well, it's because they have a different agenda and they're hiding behind some of these issues. But the church can be a part of the solution here. Uh, but my, here's my warning to the church. The minute you empower people in the neighborhood, and I'm just going to say this from my experience, the minute you start empowering people, they don't need the aldermen, they don't need the government, and they don't need even the police. That's usually when the government gets a little upset with the pastors in the church. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Hey, here's another thing. I mean, why did a black mayor in Chicago send police to harass a black church? You remember that story about they, she sent police because she was going to arrest them. She put $500 tickets on their cars. And this is the same person who allows protesting to go on. But she then uh, she harasses a black congregation and they couldn't get into the congregation because the doors were locked. Well, you know why the doors are locked? Because of gang activity. And they do that every Sunday. So here's a here's a group that is making a difference. And yet the, this mayor harass them with the police force and that's not an issue i think that's a huge issue and again those are the kind of things we're fighting for hey you you got to write your congressman you got to you got to let people know that you, you just won't put up with this stuff well is it perhaps that uh, for example that black church you mentioned is that they are beyond the reach politically of those who want to control these are people who are thinking for themselves not following the party line. Yeah. And it's interesting. The black church is under siege, too. So it's not just the white churches or the evangelical churches or the Catholic churches or whatever. All traditional churches, all churches who believe what the scripture says and believe that there, there's got to be a better answer than just policies and, and, and politics, um, they're under siege, too. And so when you see stuff like that, when you see them even being harassed, when they should be uh, protected because black lives matter, you start to ask the question, then what's going on here? And I think what you said is correct. They decided, you know what? Our faith in Jesus and our proclamation of the moral teachings of the church are bigger than this. And if, if we're going to have to suffer to proclaim that, then, then so be it. And I think we're at a point where we have to think that way. Now the COVID-19 thing was used to scare us and it was made, we were made to feel like we were going to kill our neighbors if we actually went to church. Well, that is silly. The data is not there. Uh, it's still a nefarious virus and you got to watch yourself. But the data is not there for that kind of thing. We should not be afraid to go out of our houses, for goodness sakes. Um, and so coming back to, you know, life is in God's hands is a great way to live. And it's a great way to live for your neighbor, too. Yeah. And again, there's this, uh, this double standard and it, that's being used as a political bludgeon at, that is frightening. For example, today I read an article that uh, Mayor de Blasio of New York, you know, they're keeping a track on uh, COVID-19 cases. But he has specifically said, don't do it for people who are involved in demonstrations. 
Right. As if the virus uh, really will will halt uh, for for demonstrations, but it won't halt for church. And I've even heard people say, you know, enough with this prayer stuff. I mean, there is a, again, there's a secular move to 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 diminish the church, and you know, the Satan, the world, and our own flesh try to do that all the time. Uh, but the Word of God re- remains supreme and empowering. And our, our goal then is to then carry it back into the middle of this fray. The hard part is that we're losing stuff that as Americans were a real benefit to our society. And we're, we're just, we'll lose it as a church maybe, but if we lose it, everyone's going to lose it. And that's what I keep trying to explain to people. And there's a lot of people who, you know, they would love, if we lost it, they think, well, as long as we don't lose ours. And it doesn't work that way. You either have an alienable rights from God or you have an you have state given rights that they can play with and give and take away at their own leisure. You don't want to live in the second. The second one is tyranny. Well, Greg, you you have your finger on the pulse in D.C. I know that you have a lot of connections within Congress itself. What is the temper of Congress? What what are you feeling that they are that they are experiencing now? What are they thinking and what are they planning? Well, okay. Uh, that'd be Bible says, "Trust not in princes." And I would say, if you trust in entrust in, in your lives, that's one of the reasons why the founding fathers limited their role because they didn't even trust themselves. Please get that get that right. That's the key. And don't even, the tenor right now. And I've seen this over and over and over again. Um, the Democrats are radically secular, progressive now, and they're coming for the church. And the Republicans aren't going to protect us very much. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said it this way. He said, the problem with uh, politicians is the ones who disobey the law or who uh, the liberal ones who break all the laws. He said they keep breaking them and creating new ones and the conservatives keep conserving them. Um, So, again, you know, it's kind of like no one's actually fighting for the things that we know are true, that we know will bless people. So to that degree, um, it's a sad day because the ruling yesterday in the Supreme Court just shows that politicians are people of expediency but at the same time uh try to hold them accountable to the things that you know last uh religious liberty sanctity of life institution of marriage and and educational freedom if we can keep fighting for those things as a ground floor of civility there's still hope for our culture and then there's freedom to be faithful as the church so i'm going to keep fighting for those uh, those four basic things because i know they protect everybody not just the church but it'll protect our freedom to be faithful. And that's something I want to give to my daughter and to her children. Well, Greg, I want to thank you for your insight on this. I'm afraid we are out of time. Uh, I know in just one of our recent programs uh, with uh, Wrestling with the Basics, uh, one of the pastors there, uh, uh, Mark, uh, excuse me, one of the pastors at that program said that if the 2020 was a book of the Bible, it would be Lamentations. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I agree with that, and uh, Ecclesiastes is probably worth reading, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the gospel remains nonetheless. Okay. Well, Greg, thank you very much. I appreciate all the time and effort. It's great to be with you, Kip. God bless. You've been listening to Free to be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.